trigger warning. This podcast contains discussions about self-harm and suicide, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. podcast series hosted by me freddie cocker each pod i check in with men and women from across the sporting landscape we talk all about their sporting journeys their mental health and how they keep their mind on the game in this episode of mind on the game i'm checking back in with women's footballer Chloe Bellaby, as our part one was beset by, let's say, technical difficulties. This pod will talk all about Chloe's mental health journey and her transition into mental health advocacy. We discuss Chloe's lived experience of self-harm, suicide and how she turned her life around to now help others who are struggling. As both of us are mental health people in the online space, don't like to use the word advocate, we also discuss the pressures and responsibilities that come with that, establishing boundaries of people who send us quite worrying DMs, and why it's very important to state that we are not counsellors. So here's how this episode of Mind on the Game went down. Chloe, welcome back to Mind on the Game. Since we had part one, which was... um set shall we say with technical difficulties I'm hoping this doesn't happen again so we're just going to crack on and go into the rest of your journey basically but first off just how are you and how have you been keeping since we did part one yeah I'm really really good just working getting fit for America again keeping myself looking busy. tanned I must say <laughs> am I yeah I mean I'll you know what? listeners I'll can't see that. but you're you've got a bit of you've got a bit of color which is good I'll yeah. take that I'll, it takes me a while to tan usually so I'll take that Chloe your mental health journey and your mental advocacy is a little bit different to your football journey but it's one I feel like it's it shaped it and you know your football journey's probably shaped it and vice versa so shall we just crack on <laughs> Like we said in the intro, we're just going to talk about your mental health journey and your mental health advocacy. So let's talk about your mental health journey first, Chloe. I ask all my special guests this question first. Tell me about your early life growing up in the North England, in Yorkshire, your teenage years, and whether looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Chloe we meet here? So I think probably my earliest experience of mental health problems was when I was 11 years old. I recall at that age having some really dark thoughts and I remember I'd think about death a lot and mm. I kind of became increasingly unhappy with the way that I looked. And it was actually the first time that I'd harmed myself at 11 years old. And I don't think there was a particular trigger, if I'm honest. But looking back at life at that time, it was quite chaotic. We had a lot going on in my family, various family problems. And I think at the time, I didn't really think it had affected me. But with the benefit of hindsight and kind of being older, and I can now look back and reflect on it, I think maybe those times maybe caused me to maybe feel the way that I did. Like I said, I didn't really understand or see that at the time. And maybe that is why I suffered to the extreme lengths I had done. But yeah, I really don't know the exact reason why I suffered so incredibly. But the Chloe you meet today is five years into recovery, five years into healing, and I'm still in the process of learning to love myself. But I'm definitely the happiest that I have ever been. And I think that my life is full of colour again, so. Mm, amazing. For a lot of people, Chloe, who obviously self-harm in school, the problems might be school-related. 
but you were quite lucky in the sense that you were quite popular. But, and here's the but, internally that worked against you, I believe, because you felt that stigma more keenly. Can you just explain that contradiction maybe for the listeners and how it affected your mindset? Yeah, so, I mean, I was a bit of a class clown at school and I think I felt this huge pressure to be there for other people all the time and kind of keep up this persona of being happy all the time. And like you said, I was also sporty. I was known for my football. I was expected to go on to this football scholarship in America. And yeah, I did feel this immense amount of pressure to be happy all the time. And I think because I had so much going for me, like I had so much to look forward to, I kind of felt guilty for feeling so negatively about myself and the world. And I think for me, it felt like I was constantly drowning underwater, but the rest of the world only saw me when I came up for a breath on the surface. Yeah, it was a very, very difficult time. Before we talk about your suicide attempt, Chloe, I just want to talk a little bit about self-harm if we can, because your self-harm methods were a mix of quite stereotypical ones without going into too much detail that people think about on the outside as self-harm, but also kind of more subtle ones like over-exercising, over-eating and under-eating and skin picking when you started to self-harm what did it give your mental health so for example was it an emotional release was it escapism was it a distraction from school or something a bit deeper I think for me because I couldn't understand why I was feeling the way I was I couldn't understand what was going on in my brain it is mental you can't see it so I think for me it was a way of matching what was going on on the inside all the chaos all the pain to the outside I think that was the main reason why because I could see that, I could see a physical cut on my arm or a physical scar or over-exercising, I could see all of that, but I couldn't see the pain going on in my mind, I could just feel it, and I think it was easier for me to understand or kind of battle through if I could see it myself. So we can educate the listeners, Chloe, what are the right things to say to someone who you discover is self-harming or someone you love, and what are perhaps the wrong things or the triggering things that, that might be unhelpful to them? I think one of the most unhelpful things for me was being told just to stop because it was never that easy. It was never that easy and it was so unhelpful as well because it made me feel so guilty. And I think honestly just being there, being supportive, being a listening ear, making sure that that person is safe with whatever method of self-harm they're choosing and obviously not encouraging it but just being there as a person who can support them. And at the end of the day, that person will stop self-harming themselves when the time is right. That was the exact same for me. I stopped when I knew that I didn't need it anymore. That was probably the most important thing. Mm. If there was one thing you wish you'd have known whilst you were self-harming that you know now that would have helped you, what would it be, do you think? That it really is only a temporary release because I kind of did it all the time and it was only temporary it was never like a permanent release of the pain I was feeling it only makes you feel better in that moment and then all the pain comes back again and also I think once you start just how difficult it is to stop I wish that was something that I knew before when it comes to your scars did you feel stigma about those have you got to a stage where they've healed and you can sort of be out and about with your arms and, and legs or wherever the, the scars were or did you try and cover them up at the time well at the time I went to extreme lengths to cover them up I would say I remember I went on holiday and it was 40 degree heat outside and Ooh. I was wearing long long sleeves long trousers completely covered sat in the shade and I was so miserable the sweat must have been a lot. <laughs> it was unreal. It was unreal. I've never felt anything like it. And now, to be honest with you, like, I don't self-harm anymore. And I still have scars on my arms and my legs. Mm. 
and that is a battle that I'm facing at the moment. Like I'm working in a school at the moment and I wear long sleeves and long trousers just because I'm still kind of cautious of people asking me questions about mm. it. I still haven't quite come to terms with that like, I do have these scars and that they're going to be with me for the rest of my life. But yeah, I'm definitely better now. Like I'll go out in general with short sleeves on. It's just at work, I still kind of, I'm not quite there just because of like the students I work with are yeah. a lot younger. And then coming through that period of self-harm recovery, what mental tools have you learned or developed to fight back against the urge to self-harm or if God forbid you ever came close to doing it basically? That's a good question. I think exercise has been a huge escape for me and obviously it doesn't work for everyone but that has been one of the most important things even getting on a walk as soon as I kind of feel the urge getting outside getting in nature that really helps me I'd also say journaling like getting all my thoughts down on paper so I don't have to have that all in my mind that definitely helps and also just kind of like researching about inspirational people I think that has helped me like knowing other people's stories and kind of educating myself more I guess I want to talk about the suicide attempt, if we can, Chloe, because when you were 16, you tried to take your own life and such was the build-up of your pain that you were going through. If you could, can you just tell me about maybe your mental health state and the build-up to that event and then the events surrounding it, obviously in as much or as little detail as you want to disclose? I do remember that day. It was nearly five years ago, actually. I was probably in the worst place of my entire life. I'd just come back from that holiday that I spoke about. Mm. I was so miserable because, again, I'd been sat in long sleeves, long trousers in 40 degree heat. And I'd come back from a holiday and I was like, there is just no point in living if I'm going to be this unhappy all the time. So I made that decision that I was going to try and take my own life. And I came so close to death on that day. I remember I'd cut every single part of my body mm. and I looked in the mirror and I couldn't even recognize the person that I was anymore I was completely empty and there was nothing behind my eyes anymore and I just thought there is literally no point like what is the point on that day I, I took an overdose and I went to the hospital in an ambulance and I actually remember the nurse when I got there shaking her head at me yeah she shook her head at me and she kind of said why on earth would you do this to yourself and it was almost like I didn't deserve to be at that hospital. I didn't deserve a hospital bed because mm. I'd done that to myself. It was one of the worst feelings in the world. And to be honest with you, I still couldn't understand why I was still alive or why I was still here. And that kind of response from that nurse kind of made me feel a hundred times worse. Yeah, I can imagine. I remember you saying on Twitter that you didn't think you'd make it to 18 years old. And this was a similar mindset I actually had when I tried to take my own life when I was about 13 and I didn't think I'd make it past 16. Can you just explain that mindset for the listeners? Yeah, I think it was because I was in such a dark pit that I just couldn't see a future for myself. And I think it is so hard to see a future for yourself when you're so caught up in your own thoughts. And I just remember thinking, I'm just not going to make it to that age. I'm not going to make it to 18. And that was just my mindset all the way throughout my kind of high school mm. life. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but now you've gone on this journey of mental advocacy, do you think that suicide attempt was the moment which sparked your desire to become a mental health advocate in inverted commas. <laughs> I had never planned to do what I do now, but I do realise now that it would have been a waste of time. Not a waste of time. It would have been such a waste for what I'd went through if I had not shared what I'd gone through with the world. And I just turned 17 and I was in high school and I remember looking around at my peers one day and just realising that I was not the only person battling with this illness. 
I'm not the only one struggling to just get through the day. And I just knew that my voice could help someone else. And if my story could prevent just one other person from reaching the way that I did, and if it could encourage them to get the help that I so desperately needed but never got, then I think for me it was so worth it. And I think that moment for me was kind of like a switch. It was kind of when I finally realised and understood why I'd survived, what I'd went Mm. through. I think I realised that in order to kind of love who you are, you have to love the experiences that shaped you as well. And I think that was kind of my mindset Mm. at that point. And as a final question, Chloe, what did that period and your, your wider mental health journey teach you about yourself? And if you could go back and talk to that maybe 16-year-old Chloe who tried to take her own life or maybe the 14-year-old the Chloe who was self-harming really badly, what would you say to her knowing what you do now? I think I would say just hold on because what you're going through is not for no reason and it's going to shape you into the person that you are today and it does get better. And I think that's the most important message because in that time, I never saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't see a future for myself and I think... If I had just known what I know now, then it would have been so much easier for me to get through it. So yeah, I would just say, hold on and keep trusting your journey. Let's talk about that mental health advocacy journey in a bit more detail, Chloe. So can you just tell me how it started and then maybe that first big campaign you talked about off air to me, which I think was like a 200 mile walk from London to Leeds, was that right? Well, I got to the point where I knew, like I said, I wasn't going to make it to the age of 18 if I didn't make a change. And Mind Charity had been a charity that had always stood out to me for the mental health work that they did. And I think at the time I knew I needed a focus and a challenge and a reason to push forwards. And I knew I wasn't doing it for me. It was for something that was a lot greater than I was. And it was for other people as well. So it's something that I had to follow through with. Like I couldn't just decide not to do it. Like I had to do it. So I did months of campaigning, charity events and planning. And then my sole focus was on that challenge and kind of making the lives of other people better. And yeah, I walked 220 miles in 10 days and we raised over £10,000 for mine. So yeah, it was a really, a really amazing Mm. time. Yeah. Obviously the support you had on social media was amazing. And it still is amazing when you kind of, go through that period of tweeting and sharing and and TikToking as well. You've even had messages from people (laughs) saying you'd helped save their life or stop them maybe from taking their own life. How on earth did that feel when you got that first one maybe? I think it was completely surreal, but I always said that if it helped just one other person, then it Mm. was worth it. And I think now this was what I was put on this world to do. And I knew it in that moment as well when I got that first message that said that. And everything started to make Mm. sense for me. You've done a lot of speaking gigs. And I think you've done a lot of speaking gigs at schools. Can you tell the listeners about the story you told me off air about the girl who came up to you at the end of one of your presentations? Because that really must have floored you. Was it a big moment in your life, Chloe? Yeah, so at one of my first school talks, I think it was actually my first one. I had a girl come up to me at the end of the talk. And I just remember she was crying. And she said to me, I was planning on taking my own life tonight. But your story and what you said... It saved me and you have given me hope for the first time in a long time. And that was like the most craziest thing ever. And I was kind of speechless, which is a rare (laughs) thing for me. But it was just completely, completely surreal. And I just didn't realise until then that that it could have that impact on someone else. Such an amazing feeling, such an amazing feeling. 
being a mental health advocate or person in this community or online space isn't easy at the best of times, Chloe, when it comes to social media for either of us. And what a lot of people don't know is that sometimes, especially if you leave your DMs open, I don't do that anymore for precisely this reason, is you get a lot of, let's shall we say, worrying messages sometimes from people, normally strangers, telling us about their mental health state. When it's friends, it's pretty easy because you can talk to them and support them and you know that there's that level of safety. But when it's strangers, you don't really know what their mental health state is really like, even if they are on the surface completely honest with you. How did that impact you when they began to come in? And how do you, or how did you create this emotional detachment from that as well to protect your mental health? I think it was so hard when I first started this journey. And I remember I received so many messages of people reaching out and asking me for help. And at the time I was only 17. <laughs> no age, is it? <laughs> and No, exactly. And I was still healing mm. myself like I, ha- I hadn't I hadn't even got to a point where I was ready to recover so when I had all these people messaging me I kind of obviously it was an amazing feeling that people mm. felt comfortable mm. messaging me like and I felt like I needed to respond to everyone straight away and that's what I did but I'm also not trained <laughs> to do that and I'm only going from what I know and what I've learned from my own experiences and I think now I have to be able to detach myself from that. I think I've gotten really good at just letting negative messages kind of roll over me and just refer them straight to Samaritan or to Mm. a mental health charity. And I think a lot of people don't realise that mental health advocates don't get paid for what we do. We're not counsellors, please. We're not counsellors, guys. (laughs) No, (laughs) exactly. We're We're not paid to do that. We're not trained in it. And... I think I've also realised how important it is to take a break from social media and and just don't respond to messages Mm. all the time because you have to live your life as well. And it's so important to rest. And I think you can't do that because your mind is constantly going when you have these people messaging you. These people are obviously in serious distress, Chloe, but you told me at times that you've actually received abuse when you don't respond or you haven't responded to some of those messages. How much agency do you give those people? And where do you draw the line between the fact that they're in mental health distress and being nice? Because it becomes quite blurred, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it is really hard not to take it personally sometimes. But I do understand now that that person is clearly going through a really difficult period of time and they're just looking for an outlet or someone to blame. And that's okay. If it is me, then that's fine. I understand the struggle and the pain that they must be experiencing, but you are right. Just because someone's going for a really difficult time and they're in that much pain doesn't mean that they can be unkind yeah. to people. And at the end of the day, I'm I'm only 21 years old. I'm not trained or qualified to help people, like I said. And I do it off my own back mm. and I know you do as well. And I think I'm at a point now where I don't even let it anger me. Oh, that's um, great. Especially because... being so young, the fact that you don't let it anger <laughs> me. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been like that at 21. <laughs> No, I I have to realise that what they're saying to me is nothing to do with yeah, me at projecting. the end of the day. Yeah, it's what they're yeah, going through. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think I'm more oh, at peace that good. way. So I think there's an irony here, Chloe, that when we come out about our mental health issues or our experiences for the first time, this big weight comes off our shoulders for a lot of us. But being an advocate or a person in the online space, sometimes when we're struggling again, that big weight almost comes back on in a way. Like we feel like a bit of pressure that we're struggling again. Have you have you felt that in your experience? I've certainly felt that at times. No, I definitely have. And especially when I'm like going for a dark mm. period of time myself or I'm having a tough week and I don't want to do it. And then you get messages kind of being like, 
why aren't you posting? Oh, who's telling you that? Chloe? And I guess who's you telling of... you that? I need to block these people. <laughs> <laughs> I have had that. <laughs> I have had that before, and you do feel guilty for not posting all the time or being as positive as usual. But I guess now I, I kind of have to separate myself from that because at the end of the day, I do it off my own back. It's for myself as well as other people, and. I guess I am blessed to have that platform. Mm. But I definitely understand the pressure of it because as mental health advocates, I feel like we have to constantly feel like we need to share positively Mm. and share content even when we don't feel like it, which is absolutely not the case. (laughs) As well as that, Chloe, I've definitely felt a... Maybe it's an irrational fear, but this fear of having to always be... Not the perfect person, but just have this, this air of... I don't know what the right word is, but like if I do one thing wrong in my personal life, I might get cancelled or like cancel culture might seep in. And I definitely saw this happen to Matt Haig. I think you might have seen it a while ago where I think he might have said something stigmatising about someone who was like in a psychotic state of mind. And he was basically sent, I think he might have been sent like a death threat to them. Please fact check me if that's wrong, by the way, listeners. But like, I definitely feel that's a real fear for me. Does that Does that worry you as well? I think it does to some degree, especially now my platform's got bigger, I guess. And you're right, like, if you say one wrong thing, everyone remembers that, and everyone... You're supposed to be a mental health advocate, why are you saying, like, oh... (laughs) Exactly, exactly, and I think they forget about all the good stuff you've done when you make one error or one mistake, so you do have to be really careful Mm. with what you say, I think. But at the end of the day, we're only human, and we're going to make mistakes, and... And I think Please, that people, is okay. we are human yeah, beings. Please does... remember this. We are not perfect <laughs> human beings. No, we're not robots behind a screen. We are God, humans. I wish, some, I wish some people remembered that. <laughs> um, I know, yeah. me too. But yeah, it does, it does concern mm. me to some degree. You're yeah. pretty active on TikTok as well now. And I don't know how you do it, to be honest, because those videos, I feel like they take absolutely ages to make. But what has this advocacy journey taught you as well? I think more than anything that, everything in life is temporary and probably that I can survive anything and I think my voice can help other people and I think that's the same for anyone anyone that's gone through something difficult if they talk about it the amount of people that it can help will probably blow your mind we have come to our final topic of conversation on the podcast Chloe and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests which is a general natter and chat about our mental health so first off how would you say your mental health is at the moment? My mental health is probably the best it's been in a long time. I'm doing really good. I'm focused. I'm so, so happy and looking forward to Amazing the Amazing answer. I love it. If you felt comfortable saying, <laughs> Chloe, what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? So I still have depression and anxiety, but I think my good days are much more frequent than my bad. And I still have bad thoughts every single day, but I can deal with them in such a healthier way now that doesn't impact me in the way that it used to. And I can live a normal life, which is amazing. Despite the fact that you've gone through this massive journey, Chloe, what age do you think you were when you first became self-aware of your mental health and the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? So for example, I went through all that I did in school, but I didn't become self-aware until I was about 18 years old. Yeah, that's a that's a really difficult question. I would probably say, probably 17. I think probably 17. That was probably when I realised that 
that was when I needed to become mm. more self-aware. And I guess that is when I, I genuinely did. Mm. So yeah, 17. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What impact did it have? And then looking back, did you feel like a big part of you had changed or you'd entered a new chapter in your life or a big weight had been lifted off your shoulders? Or did it seem quite insignificant and quite normal to do? How do you look back on it? I think it was actually with a friend. It was with a friend and I just said that I was really struggling. I wasn't sure why or what, what it was that was kind of impacting me. I think it seems fairly insignificant, but at the same time, I definitely felt a sense of relief, like relief in talking about it. And I think I've realised now that talking about it does save lives. So yeah, it felt insignificant at the time, but it was probably like the biggest step for me in, mm. in my journey to recovery. What triggers do you have? that affect your mental health so it could be a sound could be a sensation could be a particular social environment maybe something that people say to you or a phrase or have you not figured all of them out yet I mean I've definitely not figured them all out yet (laughs) but I would say that my environment for sure because I think if you surround yourself with the wrong people or people who are negative all the time then I think that is what you become and I think you just have to make sure that you have a solid foundation of people around you who will push you to be and Mm. become better and then obviously I had the obvious ones like uh, lack of sleep, bad diet, all of that sort of thing. And I think also when I have more time to think, when I don't have a focus, I think my mind begins to play tricks on me then as well. And I kind of go into overdrive and my mind my mind mm. needs a break then. But yeah, I constantly feel like I need to have a focus. Like I mm. can't kind of rest if that makes And outside sense. of exercise, which you've spoken about already as a, as a great tool to help you, what other tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked out for you and help you? And which ones that you've maybe tried to do, but haven't? So things for me, like practicing gratitude, researching and learning about other inspirational people and listening to them talk. I said about Inky Johnson before. Go back to part one. The other podcast. But he, yeah, part one. And he's awesome. And he's really helped me in changing my perspective. And I think being able to shift my perspective has been such a huge thing for me. And I also do now see a life coach as well. And he helps me in, in kind of controlling my thoughts Amazing. and my mind as well. How do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves, Chloe, or might be going through a poor period of mental health? So for example... I'm a big advocate of telling people, don't say my DMs are open unless you have the communication skills to deal with anyone who comes into your DMs. And don't say I'm here if you need me as a throwaway comment, because it can really not, not help is the short way of saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I just always offer an ear and make sure that I'm as approachable as possible so that people know that they can come and talk to me whenever they want. And I think all you really need to know when you're in that dark place is that you're not alone and that you do have someone to talk to and that you are loved more than you can imagine. And I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I will always Mm. tell my friends. And I genuinely do mean it as well. And I think that's Mm. so important. I'm going to add a new question into this topic because we've absolutely banged through this podcast. So what is the best mental health Bible, that's what I call them, that you've read for your mental health? Oh, that's a tricky one. Well, I've actually just finished reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I have to put an explicit pod. I have, I have to put the explicit I on have... this pod now. <laughs> right. Sorry, sorry, but that book, that book is so good. Yeah. Like, it's so good. 
And actually, also, Zero Negativity by Ant Middleton is a pretty good one as well. I've mm. enjoyed reading that. And as a final question, Chloe, and this is a broad one, what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? I think just making people aware of the places that they can go to talk about what they're going through. And I think also the message that they will always be listened to and not dismissed and that there are supports in place if you choose to reach out and ask for help. Chloe Bellaby, thank you so much for coming back to Mind on the Game. Of course, my pleasure. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this second part of Chloe Bellaby's Mind on the Game episode. Thank you to Chloe for coming back on and being so patient and telling me all about her mental health journey. I'll put Chloe's social media links in the show notes of this episode as well. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues, tell your family about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That will really help us out with all those algorithms. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, please consider supporting our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can donate a one-off donation to our GoFundMe, which is the link for in all our channels. Stay tuned for the next episode of Mind on the Game. And remember, it's always okay to vent. Vent.